You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. Hello, and welcome to Trowers and Hamlins podcast, where we're talking all things broadband and connectivity. My name is Amadeep Gill. I'm a partner in our corporate and commercial team, and I'm joined today by Steve and Scott, who will be introducing them in a moment. But just a bit of context first. Earlier this year, Trans and Hamlins launched our digital advisory group, where we are advising clients across the public and private sector on a range of digital projects, whether that be broadband, fiber or 5G. As part of that relationship, we've been working very closely with the Project Advisory Group, and I'm delighted to welcome today Steve and Scott to share their background and know-how about the sector, and a quick introduction from them first. Scott, over to you first, please. Hi, I'm Adib. Good to speak to you. Um, my name is Scott Walters. Uh, I'm acting as an independent consultant at the moment, but have had a long relationship with, with Steve and, and other colleagues in PAG. Uh, I'm the ex-chief exec of uh, Ninet. Uh, Ninet is uh, a special purpose vehicle owned by North Yorkshire County Council to provide WAN connectivity to the the public sector, predominantly in North Yorkshire, but also it created and deployed and is in deployment of the Superfast North Yorkshire programme, which is part of BDUK's Superfast programme. Superfast, briefly, uh, Superfast North Yorkshire was different from the other Superfast interventions. We were a pilot. Uh, We didn't rely on BDUK. Uh, We created our own state aid approval, our own procurement and contract suite and commercial model. Um, And Superfast is recognised as one of the most successful of the interventions, uh, bringing next generation access to over 90% of the population of North Yorkshire, a very rural county, England's biggest county. And over £100 million worth of capital has been been deployed in in North Yorkshire as part of Superfast. Really looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that when we get into the details of the podcast. But Scott, over to you for a quick intro with regard to um, some of the the public sector activity you've done, by the way. Yes, well, uh, public sector activity, Ninet uh, has successfully, uh, under my command, contracted with 95% of the public sector in North Yorkshire. Uh, It has relations with, strong relations with the Department for Culture, Media and Sport and BDUK, the division of DCMS responsible for uh, bringing uh, next generation access and now currently developing the F20 programme for full fibre. We have successful relationships with uh, uh, European funds. Uh, In fact, Ninet was the uh, entity that created a new way of um, uh, calculating how much ERDF could be applied to broadband projects. In phase one of Superfast, uh, which kicked off in 2012, uh, our approach to the allocation of funding, um, which had to be approved by ministers, changed the allocation of funding to Ninet uh, by tenfold. This is now applicable countrywide um, and, and has liberated a lot of European funds into the broadband market. It sounds like a huge success. Um, and as I say, looking forward to getting into a bit more detail about that. But Steve, perhaps a little bit of your history as well first. Steve Edwards, I'm uh, currently a director at the Project Advisory Group. Um, we provide um, consultancy um, services to both the public sector 
and to network providers and funders on both sides really of the uh, push to get full fiber and 5G uh, deployed across the UK. My background has been um, in the telecoms industry for um, probably around 40 years, um, particularly over the last um, 12 years working on the super fast broadband program, which was um, which included 1.9 billion of funding under the under the government BDUK programs for super fast broadband, which has now I think delivered around 95% of UK premises who have better than 30 megabits per second. Uh, the job now is to um, is to deliver full fiber and one gigabit um, coverage to um, to the rest of the UK, so to the whole of the UK, I should say. Scott, Steve, you've both mentioned really big figures there in terms of um, capital deployment. Um, could you tell us actually a little bit about the history of broadband, though, you know, in terms of where we are now and where we were, say, you know, earlier on this decade? Because have those big capital sums that you've talked about really produced some great outcomes? Yes, I think. I mean, if I start, Steve, and then 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 you can you can dive in, Steve. Uh, I, I should say that Steve and I have known each other a long time, sitting on opposite sides of the table in in this uh, the 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 negotiations to deliver uh, connectivity, particularly to to North Yorkshire. Around uh, about two thousand and twelve, when um, BDUK came into existence and, and brought the Superfast program up, uh, the, the the coverage of Quality broadband um, was probably about 40% in the country. In the rural areas, much, much lower than that, single-digit numbers. Um, and, and this compares quite poorly with, with Europe. Um, having said that, you know, Europe is, is, a, is a, a lot of countries associated to Europe and, and, and every country has a different experience. The European Commission policy objective has been about delivering uh, quality connectivity and the European Commission now has a, a, a an agenda for full fibre. So the UK, um, from a, a, a connectivity perspective, was a you know, poor coverage, but a very skewed coverage. The, the big cities, which are commercially attractive, uh, or would, would naturally attract commercial private investment, the rural areas uh, where you have a dispersed population with not a high population density. It is, it's just a lot more expensive to, live, to deliver to, uh, causing um, a lag in deployment and a failure to deploy. And, and that is broadly why the uh, why BDUK came into existence, because of this market failure. Hmm. And, and did you have any thoughts on, on that as well, Steve, in terms of... Um, particularly, you know, the, the fact that there has been quite a significant history of market failure in this um, and what kind of interventions perhaps can happen now or should be happening. Sure. So, you know, dwelling on the history a, a little bit is that, that um, the, the the investment, um, which a lot of which, by the way, came from uh, local authorities. I think mm. I think of the one point nine billion, around one point two of that came from um, from local authorities. Um, that deployed 
predominantly a fibre to the cabinet network. So a network that uses fibre part of the way and the existing copper networks the remainder. Now that was a pragmatic thing to do 10 years ago and uh, the, the achievement that government and local authorities and providers made is, is substantial, gained coverage to 95 or, or 97% in some cases. However, that reliance on the copper network can't continue. Um, currently, only around 12%, or at the beginning of this year, I should say, around 12% of UK homes and businesses had access to full fibre. Um, and the task now is to bring 100% of UK homes and businesses with access to full fibre, which is the future-proofed infrastructure needed for us to, to grow and get those economic and social benefits um, that the technology can bring. So the intervention now has to be to complete the job in, in terms of delivering fibre infrastructure. And um, you know that's where the focus should should now um, should should now look to from both central government, local authorities, and and network providers going forward. Yeah, I think you're right, Steve. I mean, I think the the situation we have currently is it, it, you're absolutely right. FTTC fibre to the cabinet was a pragmatic solution to a problem. Hmm. The network providers, by and large, have recognised that. Um, Fibre to the cabinet is not the final solution, the final answer, and full fibre is the future-proofed technology. Now, I'm, I'm not a technologist, but it, full, full fibre is is light going from one end to the other end, and, and as we know, nothing nothing travels faster than light. It is therefore fundamentally future-proofed, and the only changes to technology will be the the, the cleverness or capability of the, the 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 routers and boxes on the end of either end of that fibre. Um, Openreach are have a a deployment program to deliver full fibre. Um, there are circa thirty million premises homes in the UK. Uh, City fibre are doing the same in their target market of of cities. Uh, Virgin have their own product. Um, there is uh, th this market is attracting uh, external funding for the commercial build, but it, it's more expensive to build full fibre than it is to build fibre to the cabinet. Um, so the government who recognise that they they want a country that is fibred completely because of the social and economic opportunities that that, that presents, uh, are intervening again with the F20 programme. Uh, as I understand it from what I've heard, F20 stands for the 20, the last 20%. So whereas Superfast considered the last 5 to 10% was unlikely to get commercial deployment, government is now recognising that it is likely to be the last up to 20% won't get commercial deployment. Uh, that is you know, 6 million predominantly rural households that need government support and intervention. Uh, the, the F20 programme is setting aside between four and a half and five billion pounds worth of capital to uh, encourage that marketplace. The, the government um, is allowed to intervene in a private marketplace when there is a, a deemed market failure. Mm. Market failure isn't necessarily just because it's commercially unattractive. It might be that simply the timescales for deployment uh, will mean that certain areas are in the medium to long term for the commercial market and the government wants to accelerate that process 
uh, which I think is is a, a positive thing for the country and and actually is is politically agnostic. All all political parties believe that fibre is the utility that that needs to be everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. When, when we're talking about fibre and, and particularly the subsidy around it, we, you know, as a lawyer, um, I hear a lot about state aid um, and the application of that. So, you know, state aid, but for, for those listeners that may not be familiar with it, is when the public sector um, intervenes in markets and provides subsidy and, and uh, you know, as part of the, the conversations that are going on at the very moment around Brexit and free trade, it's one of those issues that is, is causing a degree of consternation. What what is your familiarity about um, the application and relevance of state aid in some of the these market failure pieces we're talking about? Well, I think both Steve and I are, are probably very familiar with it. Steve, from the commercial angle, having been with with BT, uh, myself from from working with with Ninet. Uh, Ninet is a publicly owned entity. Um, we we had to have state aid approval for for the superfast deployment, and and the rules and regulations are entirely logical. Uh, it, it, in the public sector, if it is going to interfere in a private market, it needs to do appropriately. So you have to have a form of market failure. Market failure in the broadband sector is is interesting because. There is there isn't deemed to be market failure at a retail level. We have a very healthy retail provision for internet service providers. What we don't have is the platform, the wholesale platform everywhere for the internet service providers to sell their services. So the market failure is at a wholesale level. So any intervention in this market that has state aid approval is intervening at a wholesale level. So so grant funding subsidy. Uh, which basically rebalances the investment model of the infrastructure provider, has to ensure that it is a fair competition and that it is open access to all retail service providers who wish to use that infrastructure. Steve, do you have a view on that from a, from your days in BT? Um, yes. Um, obviously, the fact that these projects are state-aid programmes, um, it's very important that both providers and local authorities are, are, are careful as to what the money's spent on and and, and what happens to the outcomes. Um, you know, for example, to protect value for money, the BDUK contracts are very, very stringent on um what were the money spent and the, the 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 outcomes delivered and there's also of course a clawback mechanism to ensure that um the benefits of um deploying superfast broadband are then shared back so for example as as take up on the network increases the profit for the network provider increases um funding is then returned back to the public sector. That's a really important point, Steve. You're absolutely right. The the, the underpinning uh, concept behind state funding when it's a gap funding project, state aid applies to the public sector spending money, basically. The, mm. In this environment, it is a gap funding model. The, the public sector doesn't own anything. It fixes market failure. Yeah. The, the the dividend, if you like, for the public sector is that um, the the population is um, not hindered in taking part in the digital environment. The, the the situation with state aid, one of the rules is it has to be the minimum aid, um, and measurement of minimum aid is quite is quite tricky when it's an, an investment model. So as Steve says, 
all bidders uh, produce a bid model which assesses the demand, the uptake they think they will get at a wholesale level. And therefore, if if the and that that creates the calculation for how much gap funding public subsidy is required, as Steve said, if that demand level is higher than forecast, then clearly that that private body has had too much state funding and should be and is due back to the public sector. And, and Steve, what did you have any thoughts about that in terms of that that gap funding piece and that? Um, the the money that could go back to the public sector. Yeah, so um, as, uh, it's it's heavily dependent on take up, but um, we've seen take up levels of fifty, sixty, even seventy percent now being forecast for that super fast broadband network that the public funding uh, contributed to. So um, estimates vary, but around nine hundred million pounds. Um, should be being returned as a result of that take-up and clawback. Some of that has happened and, and, and has been reinvested, and it's that opportunity to reinvest that's important. And I think it's the you know, local authorities um, who have responsibility for these projects to make sure that they're optimising that clawback and investing it in more fibre broadband as, as quickly as possible. There's a, a real risk that, you know, we see some we see some areas doing that. Um, I mean, North Yorkshire is one example. Um, you've also seen recently projects in Scotland where they're now looking at realistic targets of 100% coverage in places like uh, the Scottish Borders area, for example. So, you know, it's, it's early action that will get some some areas ahead of others and the gap there's a risk that the gap is now going to increase again and some areas are going to be left behind and we we talked earlier about 2012 being the the point at which BDUK was established and you know they've been at the forefront of helping uh, a lot of these projects and programs get running. Could you share a little bit more about uh, um, some of their programs, what they're doing, how they're tackling some of the market failure we've talked about, um, and actually, you know, the benefit that they've brought? Yeah. So, so um, it, it's a remarkable project, really, and, and doesn't always get the credit that it that it deserves. It was it was a centrally uh, funded. A program, but one of the key success uh, factors, I believe, is the fact that it was run locally by local authorities who know their local area, knew where the intervention was needed, and were able to work with providers to get the best for their local local area. And um, I think that. There's something like um, five million homes or so being being provided with superfast broadband as a result of that program. Um, they're still being deployed, and, and some of them are being extended. So uh, some areas have now gone to phase three and phase four, again using some of that clawback. The other things that BDUK are doing, which which are very effective, is the provision of vouchers. And again, some local authorities, not not all, but some are, are supplementing those vouchers to actually make the incentive even greater. The network providers use the vouchers in order to 
make deployment of network viable where it wouldn't otherwise be viable. So there's there's a, there's around a thousand pounds per premises available, I think, from government, and some local authorities are doubling up on that, um, and that's very effective. That can incentivise new network providers competing with OpenReach to provide full fibre, and we've seen that. Particularly, a good example of that is in Northern Ireland with Fibrous, who are who have gone from startup to um, deploying um, 100,000 premises or having plans to deploy 100,000 premises using that model of supplementing their business case with the vouchers offered locally. I think the fibre story is a very interesting story, Steve, isn't it? I mean, as you said, if, what is, what's the timescale from them going from startup to such a, a, a bold ambition? It's, it, it's, it's not much more than two years, I don't think. And certainly in the last year, they've grown significantly. Um, and it, it's a good example, and there are others across across the country where um, alternative network providers incentivized to, to deploy networks actually increase investment from all the players. So we see in areas where this has happened that Virgin or BT um, are increasing their own investment in full fibre. So there's a double win there for local government in providing the incentive for alternative network providers that get that actually doubles up on that investment and 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 all the network providers start to deploy full fiber in in the area. I think it's a logical thing that Steve, isn't it? It's a logical outcome of the the, the physics of fiber. If fiber is the the end goal, because nothing is going to go faster than that. If somebody deploys fiber, the other alternative providers and open reach clearly need to compete with that otherwise they simply lose their footprint that certainly seems to be how it how it works yes yeah and do you think that the, the work that BGUK did and that you know very close relationship that local authorities have uh in terms of finding the solution and finding how that that you know, grant funding or capital funding was money was to be deployed. Do you think that was the optimal model to be using for deployment? Uh, my my view, having been on the public sector side of it, is I believe I believe it is. But I think there there was there were certainly different levels of buy in from different local authorities. Um, I think North Yorkshire was very fortunate because they were heavily invested in 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 the program and bringing connectivity. Uh, and we're also in, in the fortunate position of having a, a vehicle to manage the process as well. Not every authority was as fortunate, but I think the the devolution of the management of it was was at the time very successful because, as Steve says, different different local authorities know their patch better. Um, so one of the issues with Superfast was because there was never going to be enough funding to fix the whole problem local authorities tended to go for the value for money approach which was you know how many premises can i get for my money and therefore the 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 providers who won the contracts would naturally go where the population was most dense or easy to deliver to meaning that those with the absolute poorest broadband would probably remain with the most poorest broadband so the digital divide was exacerbated to the the more deeply rural in answer to that, BDK's process and approach now is to follow more of an outside-in approach. Um, this is this is 
to very much try and combat the the notion of the the digital divide of of those that aren't getting it still not getting it um but it it does mean that that perhaps uh you lose some economies of scale but politically it's probably the right answer the f20 program i think is based on the principles of outside in but at the same time recognizes that you know the last 20% are probably not going to get full fiber from the the private market so is ambitious enough with with a, a huge amount of money to try and try and deliver all of them whether the focus on the 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 lots that are published by BDUK for the private sector market to bid for focus on more deeply rural first we don't know and we'll have to wait and see and I suppose my if my understanding is correct that you know F twenty is going to kind of come into the place of existing programs. Is that because existing programs are time limited? Uh, is there a clear cut off? Um, can they be extended? There, there are a number of different factors. Um, the state aid provision for the Superfast program will end uh, the end of December of this year. Uh, so having no state aid provision for that program means it, you can't really extend the program. Although there are certain uh, routes through where if funding is already identified and it's an extension of a reasonable contract, it's possible. Or if a procurement is underway at the moment and the contract gets signed pre-end of December, then that can be extended that way. Uh, but the, the Superfast programme had a focus because of the constructs of the procurement. Uh, had a focus on a certain level of capability. I think it was 30 megabits, which isn't gigabit capable. Clearly, it's 30 megabits. Uh, and, and therefore, to change the procurement of Superfast would, would essentially change the whole nature of it. So F20 is the replacement for Superfast because the recognition is we need gigabit capable connectivity. So it, Superfast has simply done its time. And, and now we, we, we all recognise that it should be full fibre, therefore it is a new programme. And Steve, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I agree there with Scott. The benefit of the local authorities running the original Superfast projects was very clear, that local knowledge and um, running projects locally had a lot of benefits. I think the F20 programme will be more centrally led, but it needs to find a way of incorporating those people and that local knowledge and the the local championing of of schemes uh, which is very valuable so i think i think hopefully uh, bduk will find that that right balance and of course you know if i was in a local authority i'd be looking at this very closely because um at the end of the day it's it's it's, it's almost a, a competing situation where different different um local authorities now ahead or behind in this race for full fiber um and there are other things that, that can that, that they can do and and having an eye on that clawback funding how much is coming back to the authority and how they can incentivize um faster full fiber build and get the best from the f20 program for their own areas i think that's a key piece of work that that, that needs to be thought about I think you're right, Stephen. I think there are some authorities already thinking like that. Um, the, the example that comes to mind is uh, Fastershire. They are, um, that's Gloucestershire and uh, Herefordshire. And they are, they have just put a, a procurement up for uh, deployment of, of, of capacity and capability. 
So that's they're doing that on their own um, rather than relying simply on the F20 process. So I, I think you're right, Steve. I think I think there are some authorities who are getting on with things uh, by themselves and probably will try and be part of F20 as well. So the the point you make is absolutely right. And and yeah. the, the the amount of money available through clawback simply from the superfast program because you know that it is deemed that too much state aid has been had um the, the i think you know, it, it's in you know it's it's nearly a billion pounds and whilst the superfast program is closing and therefore the money should go back to proportionately to the proportion of investment from central government and from the local authority any money that goes back to the local authority uh, and, and the contribution from the local authorities has been significant, simply goes back to them. It is unfettered capital to to do imaginative things, uh, which is you know, presumably includes the, the, the broadband digital agenda. And what do we know about F20 um, that we haven't already talked about? Do you think it's going to be the solution that, you know, delivers the, you know, the aspirations of... Um, Boris Johnson's UK and actually uh, a post-Brexit UK that really needs um, to be competing on a digital world platform? I think I think it has to. Um, the, the target for 2025 looks more than challenging and I think has been watered down a little bit in the political um, announcements recently but there the, the economic driver for this is is unavoidable really it's 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 absolutely imperative that we that we do um increase full fiber availability for homes and businesses across the country and also uh, because the copper network is reaching the end of its life so um, bt and ofcom are discussing when they're when the copper network will be switched off and that's looking like somewhere between either 2025 or 2027 so that's going to start uh, fairly soon at that point we need to have a full fiber network in place indeed it makes fttc the fiber to the cabinet entirely redundant doesn't it yeah so so you know there's another driver uh, copper switch off is another driver to get full fiber particularly in rural areas um who who still rely very much on a copper a copper um, infrastructure the rurality is is one of the big key issues and drivers the 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 uh, broadband decent broadband is crucial for social inclusion it's crucial for school children mm. doing homework it's crucial the pandemic that we're currently in demonstrates the need for good quality connectivity uh, to allow people to work from home, to be educated at home, to be entertained at home, and to keep in touch with relatives and friends. The social inclusion of broadband and good quality broadband, it means one of the drivers, particularly in the rural setting, is that good quality broadband means that you can apply health applications that allow older residents to stay in their own home for longer. Uh, and that, that's good for their, their mental well-being, but is actually also more economically efficient for local authorities so the the drive for the connectivity is absolutely critical map that against the copper switch off uh which which will happen 
and and we need full fibre. I think it's very easy to look at um, fibre and broadband as just these standalone capital investment programmes. Um, but when you, you brought it really much to life there, I think, Scott, in terms of it will underpin so many aspects of our lives going forward, it, it becomes, it almost becomes like a, an essential utility, really. I, I would agree with you entirely, Amadeep. And actually, it is essentially utility funders. It's infrastructure funders who are actually moving into the market. They see it as a utility. And the, the capability of the, the content and applications will, will only increase. And I think the pandemic has shown us that uh, that actually the working environment will change. We will become a more agile workforce. Um, I don't think it's the death of the office, but I do think businesses that were perhaps sceptical about homeworking are probably now accepting of homeworking as long as there is a decent connection. And and on top of that, the, the digital agenda is not just about broadband. Broadband can facilitate the whole concept of the smart city or the smart place because you need connectivity. And, and the, the capabilities of uh, smart cities is only, the, the surface is only being scratched at the moment, but digital is the future. That's a great way actually to end our discussion because I, I, I think we will all agree Uh, Scott, Steve, that digital is the future. It it underpins so many of our societal aspirations and actually our personal aspirations. Uh, And it's an exciting place to be right now. So, you know, thank you both very much for your time. It's been a really interesting conversation. Um, And there will be further conversations of this nature as part of our Digital Advisory Group podcast. Do look out for them in due course. But All I would like to say now is thank you, Scott. Thank you, Steve, for a stimulating conversation. And I look forward to future ones in due course. Thank you. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at Trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.